0: It's good to be here with you guys this morning. Um, like James said, my name is Kerry Smith. If you don't know me, I'm the. my official title is Executive Director uh, here at Freedom Village. And you may have seen me leading worship. <laughs> Actually, you probably have been because I've been doing it for the last couple months. Um, but we're going to get David back. He's, he's been really busy at school, but he's coming back. He's going to start leading again. Um, in early July you may or may not have seen me share about the parable of the barren fig tree we were going through the parables back in the summer and if you haven't seen that sermon stop this one right now go back and watch it no I'm kidding you don't need to do that Um, you don't have to have seen the last one although this is kind of like a part two this is kind of expanding on the last one Uh, so if you want to go back and, and watch that I think it would be great but you don't have to um, so I want to start us off. Uh, James read our Galatians passage, but I want to start off with a with a different passage. That sermon uh, about the, the barren fig tree, I used this passage quite a bit. It's from Jeremiah 17, 5, 10. So I just want to read this really quick and give kind of an overview of what I talked about last time. I guess I can take this off now. Okay, so... Jeremiah, and I'm louder now. <laughs> Jeremiah 5 uh, sorry 17 starting in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in the uninhabited salt land. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord? He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Verse 9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds. So uh, if you saw that last sermon back in July, um, you remember that I talked about two types of people, Um, two types of people that this passage is referring to. So the first one is uh, someone who trusts in God and um, someone who doesn't trust in God, two types of people. So the person who trusts in God um, is firmly planted by water. That's what this passage says. Uh, And I think it's fair to say they're firmly planted by Jesus. They've decided to make their lives all about him, to take a stand and to be planted as a follower of Jesus. So this person finds their strength in the Lord. Their roots are drawing from the Lord. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, And he told us in John 13, 635 That he is the bread of life. And in chapter 4 and 7 of John, uh, that he wants to give us the living water. So the person who trusts in the Lord gets strength by deciding to be firmly planted in Jesus and turning to him for sustenance and for strength. And then finally, even when trouble comes, this person continues to flourish and bear fruit. How? Back to John 15. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So that's the person who trusts in God. The person who does not trust in God also has three qualities that are mentioned in this passage. The first one is they make flesh their strength. In other words, they believe that they are all they need. They have the inner power to overcome anything by themselves without God, right? Second Secondly, so that's the first one, secondly, Jeremiah says this person's heart turns away from the Lord. Not only does God mean nothing to this person, but they also believe that believing in God would hold them back from progress, from moving forward, that the idea of God is just man-made superstition that turns people into religious fanatics that cause nothing but problems in the world. That's what this person believes. And I will admit that people who believe religion and rules, um, sorry, that people who make religion and rules their God do cause problems because there's no connection to the real God, the God of love who wants us to be led by his spirit and not by the spirit of this world, which is selfishness and which is hate. Thirdly, this person who does not trust in God trusts in themselves And they trust in mankind. Um, They believe that we are all essentially good, that mankind is moving forward, progressing and evolving into a better state. And you kind of hear that or get glimpses of that a lot, don't you? Especially in media. That humanity is always getting better, progressing. Society and people are becoming more correct in their thinking. And honestly, up until a few years ago, the general mood was kind of like, maybe humanity is doing pretty good. Um, Racism seems to be a thing of the past. I'm talking about a couple years ago here. Racism seems to be a thing of the past. People are becoming more accepting of each other. There's no major wars between countries. Maybe we are progressing. But the last few years have shown that that kind of thinking was all a veneer. It's not reality. We're not more accepting of each other. If you're on Facebook, you know that. Um, there may be, there may not be a war in our countries, but there are wars happening all around the world. And obviously, racism is not a thing of the past. I remember um, listening to the gospel singer Mavis Staples being interviewed not long ago, and she grew up in the '50s where there was still open and blatant racism. Um, She's been through the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King when things began to change. And she even says in this interview, I thought things were getting better. And to some extent they have. In the U.S. and Canada, there's no longer separate bathrooms or sections on the bus for blacks and whites. But racism hasn't disappeared. And do you know why things like racism, divisiveness, wars haven't disappeared? because there's no real change without heart change. That's what the Bible teaches us. Things can be buried in people's hearts. They can look good on the outside, but on the inside, be full of anger and hate. And how does, how does heart change take place? Only with God, right? The major- and the majority of our world does not know him, so of course there's still going to be discord and hate and division. So back to, to John 15 again, which says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And obviously non-believers don't just sit around and do nothing, but we, can do, we can't do anything meaningful without God. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 13? Without love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clinging clang, cymbal. I'm just a sound, Without love, we can't really accomplish anything meaningful because it's the meaningful things that are going to last for eternity. Um, There's a word you hear a lot in the West. That word is tolerant or tolerance. Um, People pretend that they are accepting of all races, religions, and beliefs by claiming to be tolerant. But the very word tolerant only means that you allow something you allow something without trying to stop it. You endure it. You put up with it. It has nothing to do with acceptance. It's a veneer. It looks good on the outside, but inside, nothing has changed. If your heart has not changed, you have not changed. If someone hates another race, but they just keep quiet, that's that's that hate is still in their hearts. That's why Jesus says, if you think of a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery and john or john says in 1 john 3 anyone who hates his brother is a murderer that's pretty harsh but when you see sin as a heart issue it makes more sense jesus said to the pharisees you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean without heart change We cannot change. So, the idea that humanity can move forward or is moving forward without God is a myth. It's not possible. And I want to say something that might be surprising to you. For the most part, our actions I'm talking about believers here our actions prove that we believe this myth that humanity is progressing or okay without God. Because it's either that or it's we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. If we did believe that humanity is not okay without God, then we would live like we needed God every day because of what's in our own hearts, right? And we would live like those around us needed God. Often we hear a statement like that and we picture we're supposed to be out on the street screaming that everyone is going to hell and we think, that's not me, I could never do that. But God is not calling us to become fanatics, to be screaming on the streets. He's calling us to peace. He's calling us to love, and he's calling us to gentleness, right? Those are some of the fruits of the Spirit um, that Pastor James just read. He's calling us to relationship. So don't interpret the call to go and make disciples as having to shout from the rooftops. However, that doesn't mean that we can't be passionate We do need to share the truth with those around us, but God wants you to do do that in a way that is unique to you. Each of us has a unique personality, and God wants to use you to reach those around you. You may be the only one that can reach those around you because you are uniquely you, and God has placed you where you are for a reason. So, So hear this. When we don't have a desire to share God with others, that means there's something going on. There's a problem. That should be a sign to you that there's a problem because it shouldn't be an embarrassment. It should overflow from within us because when our lives are all about Jesus, it's a natural thing to talk about. And I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you into evangelism right now. Don't hear that. What I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to say or ask is if God is not overflowing from within you, why? Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty four, for out of the overflow of the heart, there's that word again, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think many of us are not reflecting on these kinds of things. We're not spending time in self-reflection. And do you know why that is? I think we don't know how to get quiet before the Lord anymore. The stimulation's not there, right? I'll admit it. It can be boring to just sit there in silence, just you and your Bible or just you and your journal. You feel like you're not accomplishing anything, like you should be doing something else, like some, uh, something more productive maybe. We're, we're so used to multitasking that it's just hard to sit and think or just sit and listen, we just, we just talked about being planted by water, being planted by the Lord, sending your roots out by the stream. In other words, getting your strength from the Lord, um, spiritual food from Him. And our society is just so fast. We don't have time for God anymore. We don't go to Him every day. We don't depend on Him for strength. And if we're honest, we find those things somewhere else. Strength and energy? That's what coffee is for. Or I'm stressed out. That's what exercise is for. or That's what YouTube is for. Or however you unwind. And listen to me. I'm not saying you don't need to unwind. All of us need to be able to find things to help us unwind. For me, it's music. Just sitting in my room and playing guitar helps me unwind. But, but is God the first one that we go to? Let me ask another question. When in your life have you ever grown closer to God? Just think about that. When in your life have you grown closer to God? My guess is that it was either a time when you were in a close-knit close community, like Bible camp. I don't know if, if kids go to Bible camp in Korea. Stephen, do they go to Bible camp in Korea? Yeah? It's a common North American thing. <laughs> um... So we, we grow close to God in those times, don't we, in Christian community? And I want to talk about that a little bit more later. Or we also grow closer to God after, unfortunately, after an accident or a sickness or a death of someone close to you, some kind of difficult time. Why do we need to be slapped in the face to get down on our knees and pray? Well, if we're not trying to grow closer to God, then... I think the bible says we're actually moving the opposite way no one stays neutral you're either for god or you're against him there's no middle ground jesus says in, in luke 11 23 anyone who is not with me is against me jesus uh sorry james 4 4 says do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with god and then revelation Jesus actually says to the church in Laodicea, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And some translations even say, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is meant to be a shocking statement and a wake-up call. There's no middle ground. You can't just sit and do nothing. Jesus makes it very clear. Many of us want to follow God on our own terms and in our own time. But can I say to you this morning that if that is the case, then Jesus is not your Lord. Because if we are submitting to our Lord, it's not about me, it's about him. And we either know how to submit to him, or we are at least taking steps to learn how to do that. We're not just sitting around doing nothing. Again, no one naturally grows closer to God without effort. It's just not how it works. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus... We've got to be followers of Jesus. If you love me, you will obey my commands, says Jesus. We are sinners living in a world of sin. And it's so easy to forget because the world is fallen and it doesn't know what Jesus' Lord means. So our, our, our passage this morning, Galatians 5.16, says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, I'm oh, sorry, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So maybe you can read that list or you can hear that and think, well, I think I'm pretty good there. I don't do any of those things. Okay, I hear you. There's some pretty bad stuff in there, right? But what if I hone in a little on a few words here? Like quarreling, jealousy, hostility, outbursts of anger, envy. Let's just be honest. Close relationships are always going to lead to quarreling. Arguments or fighting. Dissension, angry agreements or complaint. I mean, we see that on Facebook a lot these days, don't we? And do you know why we quarrel and complain? Because we've got to fight being all about me. We're so selfish. That's just how we're born. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. No one teaches a child to be selfish. They just are. Um, Another one, outbursts of anger, which kind of goes hand in hand with the other two. Envy. Have you heard the expression, the grass is greener on the other side? And guess what? We're back to Facebook. If I, uh, We see another person's life and we think, oh, my life would be better if I could just have that or do that. Envy is actually the key to good marketing, making people believe their lives will only be happy if they get your product. It's sad and it's, it's scary, actually. Anyway, Paul uses the word idolatry. I think Paul is probably talking about bowing down to a stone statue, but I believe he's using it as a double meaning as well. Just listen to this. Colossians 3, 5 says, this is Paul again, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So we can bow down, and we can offer our time and our money and our energy to these idols. And that sounds a lot like ancient idolatry, doesn't it? You're making offerings, which is exactly what Paul is getting at in Colossians, and I believe is also referred, referring to in our Galatians passage here. We, in our civilized and educated societies, still have idols. And I like what they're referred to in Christian counseling, idols of the heart. Now, stay with me. I'm trying to get to the answer of a question you may have asked yourself many times. Why do I sin? And, and like we talked about earlier, we already know that this world is sinful. We are born into sin. But why do I sin? If you've ever been to a psychiatrist or a sexual, sec, <laughs> secular counselor, can't say that word, Um, They often will say their goal is to get at the root of your problem or your anxiety or depression. And please hear me, I do believe that some forms of depression are physical. And in those instances, medication is very helpful. But you hear things like it's probably your dysfunctional family or you've inherited a certain addiction. And again, I'm not trying to diminish these things. They do have an effect on us. But we can try to play off our sin and we often do blame it on our circumstances i'm really tired so that's why i got so angry or i've had a bad day so that's why i've i had too much to drink uh, i know that's kind of might be shocking for some of us but that's where some people go and again these circumstances do affect us they're not always easy to deal with but hear me out the world will tell you that the root of your problems and your issues and your anxieties are your circumstances. But I'm here to tell you right now, the Bible says differently. And if you're listening to me now and you call Jesus Lord, I think it's pretty safe to say that you regard the Bible as the word of God. But do you regard it as the word of God that's sometimes nice to sit down and skim through? Or do you regard it as the word of God that has the answers to why things are the way they are? to what our purpose is, and to how we truly live. So we do sin or get anxious or have issues in our life because of our, sorry, sorry, do, do we sin or get anxious or have issues in our life because of our circumstances? Well, we can, but let me show you the biblical perspective. The last time I preached, I used this chart to explain the passage that we we're going through, Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. And I want to go back to that again really quick. So you can see here the person who does not trust in God is the shrub in the desert. And the person who trusts in the Lord is the tree planted by water. The heat, or the sun you can see there, represents circumstances. And the circumstances of life. And the shrub in the desert, or the person who does not trust God, Reacts to the heat or the circumstances with sinful responses, whereas the tree on the opposite side, um, the tree by water, planted by water, the person who does trust in God reacts with obedient responses. The sinful responses lead to consequences, and the obedient responses lead to fruit, and that's essentially what Jeremiah 17 is all about. I think. Can you go to the next slide? So why can't we just pick ourselves up, do better, um, and move on? We can change our habits. We can change our behavior. We can change our lifestyle. But we will never be able to change our hearts. The Bible says in Genesis 8.21, the intention of a man's heart is evil from his youth, Psalm fourteen, two and three, the Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand or who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. And then in that Jeremiah passage, um, it says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then a passage we we just looked at, uh, Matthew 12, 34, says this. This time I'm going to include verse 35. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Good people bring good things out of the good stored in them, and evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored in them. Ouch. That's a punch in the gut, right? Am I an evil person? Are we evil people? Well, it's a little more complicated than first glance at this verse. Look at the chart again. People respond sinfully to the heat or the circumstances of life because, if you look on the bottom, because of idolatrous motives or idols of the heart. Jesus says in Mark seven twenty one, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, idolatry, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. So I think I've made it pretty clear that the Bible shows that idols of the heart are the problem. And they are the reason that you and I sin. And we don't really have time to get into specific idols of the heart today. These things listed by Jesus in Mark or these things listed in the Galatians passage, are not all idols of the heart. Most of them are just sins that come out of the idols of the heart. You have to actually dig even deeper to find the real idols connected to these. For example, pleasure. If pleasure is an idol of your heart, there is a multitude of sins connected to that. Some of them are listed here. Sexual sin, foolishness, drunkenness, wild parties, etc. Or... Pride is another big idol of the heart. Pride can lead to theft, murder, coveting, deceit, slander, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Um, And while I don't really have time to get into these specific idols of the heart today, I want to say that um, if you're curious, feel free to reach out to me. I have some resources that I'd be happy to share with you. So the root of our problems are not our circumstances, the root of our problems are the idols of our heart. We do not naturally gravitate towards God. We do not naturally evolve into better people. That's what the world believes. We have to deal with these idols of the heart in order to deal with the sin coming out of us. And it takes effort. It takes the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. So, How do we respond obediently and produce fruit? Well, it takes a changed heart that desires and is motivated by God-focused worship, and and that's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. You need to patiently work out what God is working in you. Um, The passage in Galatians 5 starts out in verse 1 by saying, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then it lists those desires of the flesh. Skip down to verse 22. And then it lists the fruits of the Spirit. And then in verse 24, it says this. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul is telling us in Galatians exactly what we need to do. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, and crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, rid yourselves of these idols of the heart, of your idolatrous motives and the sins that accompany them. And we definitely cannot do that on our own. Paul uses the word crucify on purpose because he's trying to show us that because of Christ's crucifixion, we are, we are now able to surrender those things to him and to walk in the Spirit. Now, I want to ask another question, and I'm going to ask this because it's important to stop and sit down and sometimes think about how you're doing. So my question is this. Are we really following Jesus? I mean, really. Because if we are, then there's going to be good fruit. And if you're not seeing good fruit, something's not right. Matthew 7, 16, and 17 says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So there's a few things we can do, and and actually we should do. The first thing we can and should should be doing is self-reflection, asking ourselves questions like, why am I not willing to share Jesus with others or why am I not seeing fruit? Um, Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Matthew 6, six says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then Psalm 1, 1 through 16, ce- prospers. So again, here we've got the tree planted by streams of water, right? Just like in Jeremiah 17. And what is this person doing in Psalms? Um, they're meditating on the scriptures. They're sitting down and being quiet before the Lord. So we should regularly be sitting down and asking ourselves serious questions. How am I doing? Am I moving forward? What's, where's the fruit? Um, and there's a few ways to do this, reading the word and meditating and reflecting on it, wrestling with it and trying to understand it. And, and not every passage in the Bible is going to directly apply to our lives. Um, but when it does apply, reflecting on how you can apply it or learn from it. And then another thing we can be doing is journaling. Journaling. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but journaling is a great way to to self-reflect. Sitting down by yourself and just writing about how things are going in your life, getting it out. That's actually a great daily thing to do because you can incorporate prayer. God, I'm not doing well. I need your help. Or God, things are going great. I feel like I'm growing and moving forward. Thank you. Um, and, And another way... Another way to self-reflect is to ask a close friend, or if you're married, ask your spouse, how am I doing these days? What are some things you've noticed about me these days? Do you think I'm moving forward? Trust me, if it's your spouse, they're going to be very honest. (laughs) Um, And still another way, and, and I think this is the last way I have down here, this might be extra challenging, ask your community group. Do you guys see me? How do you guys see me? Do you think, I'm, do you think I exhibit godly character? Do you see fruit in my life? Um, if you've recently joined a group, I don't recommend doing this. Hi, my name's Carrie. Nice to meet everyone. Do you think I exhibit godly character? This is something you probably uh, are only going to be able to ask after really getting to know the people in your group. But I've got to tell you, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron, and that's the way it works. It's easier to move forward and to grow when you're doing it with other people. There's just something about being with other believers who are headed in the same direction that spurs you on. And that's one of the reasons we encourage you so often here at Freedom Village to get into a group. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider How to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And um, the last part of our Galatians passage, chapter 5, verse 25, I'm just going to read that. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need the uncomfortable accountability that family provides. Do you ever feel like your family is a little too honest sometimes? Maybe you're a little too comfortable with each other. Well, guess what? We need that honesty. We need people that can speak into our lives and tell us things that maybe we don't see or maybe we don't want to see. So back to John 15. John 15, verses 1 through 5 say, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you understand? God is more interested in our character than our comfort. He wants us to flourish, but that can be painful. Because, like we talked about earlier, sometimes it takes pain to wake us up. So, how do we move from being motivated by idols of the heart to being motivated by God pleasing desires? And when does the fruit come? Well, we start at the cross. We need to start with repentance. And that's not usually a quick thing, that's a process. You see, we expect things to happen instantaneously in our society, don't we? Like we talked about earlier, our society just moves so fast, and and we can order things at the push of a button. But we have to recognize that that's not God's way. Instantaneousness is not God's way. It may take a while for you to actually be sorry for the things you've done, as God works in your heart. But His kindness leads us to repentance. That's what the Word tells us. He is a patient God. He is slow to anger and rich in love. So because each of us is unique and each of us have lived a different story, that, that process may look different for you. But there's a few things that will be common. We start with the cross, recognizing our need for help and forgiveness, and recognizing our need for Help is what Galatians is talking about, that Galatians passage we read. In verse 16, Paul says that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. If we see evidence of these desires of the flesh, there's a problem. And then he lists the fruit of the Spirit. If we don't see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, there's a problem. And so how do we live by the Spirit? Well, it starts with the cross and repentance. And secondly... Trials and tribulations or circumstances, which we've already gone through. How do we respond to these trials and tribulations? Sorry, how we respond to these trials and tribulations is very important. And we're not going to respond well without help, right? We need the strength and sustenance that the bread of life and the living water provide. And thirdly, relationship. Because in relationship, we see how we interact with others, we see how we respond, and they see us too. They see our responses, whether good or bad. That's why we need to ask people, how am I doing? Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17 says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, if they listen to you, you have won them over. This is a Christian response to what takes place in relationship. We're all imperfect. We're all sinners. There's going to be conflict. If you're not hiding, if you're honest, if you're showing the real you, there's going to be conflict. And I'm not saying be rude and unfiltered to each other. What does the Bible say? Don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth but only what is useful for building each other up. We still need to try to be patient and kind and gentle and loving with each other, but at the same time, there needs to be a level of honesty. Um, We have to allow community to help us. That's not an easy thing to do, to be vulnerable. Jesus has a beautiful way of summing up the law of the prophets. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Another verse that I think is relevant here, Matthew eleven twenty nine, says, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus tries to make it simple for us, not easy, but simple. Take my teachings, learn from me. So we go to the scriptures and we learn, we try to understand, we wrestle through Jesus' teachings, and we live life in community. We try to apply what we're learning, apply what God is working out in us. We need to work it out, right? But you you can't do that by yourself. you got to do it in community. So I want to challenge you to ask those difficult questions. Am I really following Jesus Do I see fruit? Am I overflowing with the love of Jesus? So much so that I want to share it with everyone around me. And and I'm not saying that you should try to manufacture it. It takes time. But as you work it out, it will happen. You will see God working in your life. You will see the fruit. But you've got to live it out. If you want um, a set of reflection questions, I, I know I've asked a lot of questions Uh, for your group or for yourself, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to help you uh, with those. I have quite a few resources that I can pass on to you if you'd like. So let me just finish up by saying, um, Pastor James just finished a series on the church. And so, like I've just talked about here, we need each other. We need to encourage and challenge each other. Let's be the church for each other and for the world. Let's pray.